Hello, fellow idiots, and welcome to the third episode of the Theoretical Idiot Podcast. If you've entered to the right place, then get ready to take a deep dive through the vast, complex trenches that is media production. I'm your host, Jack. I'm an undergraduate student majoring in ecology and evolution, as well as film and media studies, and have been introduced to a very compelling variety of contemporary visual media discussions. For today, we'll be surfing through the reception and discourse around the hit spin-off show Better Call Saul, of which its sixth and final season is set to air in 2022. In particular, we'll be discussing what our tour theory is and how it has impacted productions such as Better Call Saul in both positive and negative ways. The person who joins me today in helping me guide this discussion is my guest, Trent. Hi, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to learn something I've personally never heard of. As you know, I'm a computer engineering major, so I don't have the slightest clue what auteur theory is, but I do watch a lot of movies and TV shows, so maybe I can pick it up pretty easily with your help. Yeah, of course, and I'll do my absolute best in being explicit in our discussion, and I hope you can find this valuable even if you have no connections to uh, the media industry in general. Now, you said you never heard of auteur theory before? Film theory and auteur can be a filmmaker or producer who, according to Michael Newman and Elena Levine, who are scholars in this area of research, is, quote, an artist of unique vision whose experiences and personality are exposed through storytelling craft and whose presence in culture discourses functions to produce authority for the forms in which they are identified. Okay, so an auteur is someone who implements their own personal touch on everything they make? That's part of it. To be labeled as an auteur, one is said to have placed subjective control on their projects, and this unique centralization can often be seen across all of their projects. I see. So, an auteur is a filmmaker who has complete control over everything they make and is given all the credit. Yep. Take a very recognizable name, such as Christopher Nolan or Hayao Miyazaki. When you hear those names, you can immediately think of all of their vastly popular projects. Their name becomes something that you can recognize because their subjectivity is so ingrained in their work. Okay, I get that. But it also sounds like it'd be really unfair to be anyone else who worked on those projects. You're exactly right. And we'll be discussing the problematic consequences of auteurism later on in this episode, so stick around. But for now, let's shift our focus to Better Call Saul and how it relates to auteur theory. First of all, have you ever seen Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, Trent? No, I never really got around to it. Um, I remember seeing all the hype surrounding the show and everything, and I'm still constantly seeing references on social media to it. Yeah, Breaking Bad alone ran from 2008 to 2013, with five seasons totaling 52 episodes. Now, the viewership history behind Breaking Bad is actually really interesting. Breaking Bad aired its pilot on AMC Networks in January of 2008 and harbored a little less than 1 million viewers after going up against a football game airing the same day. 
The season four finale only received just under 2 million views. Yet the season five finale, which was also the series finale, grew to over 10 million, even though it was also during another football game. This was about a 117% increase from the previous year. I know, right? Now, you could argue that it's because the show just kept getting better and better, but the majority of the success was because of a deal that AMC Networks made with Netflix just before season four aired. Netflix gave the show the ability to reach new and larger audiences that are generally very hard to obtain on broadcast television. When this deal was made, all of the previous episodes were posted to Netflix, allowing viewers to binge it all at once and without any commercials. So overall, viewers could access the show easier, didn't have to sit through ads, and both of those propelled the viewership? Exactly. During this time, most viewers had already started to cut the cord per se. Thus began the great migration to SVODs or subscription video on-demand services. Hell, even DVDs were beginning to decline, and so people were just looking for the most convenient methods to get their content. Breaking Bad and Netflix took advantage of this shift in media consumption, and it paid off in dividends. Okay, so how does this relate to tourism and Better Call Saul? Great questions. Although I've mentioned that the majority of viewership success that Breaking Bad had was because of Netflix, much of the critical acclaim and praise went to one person, Vince Gilligan. Gilligan is credited in the opening of every episode as the creator and in the ending as the sole executive producer from season one to season five. Not only that, but his name is slowed down and has a very specific graphic dedicated to it. Every other listed name in the credits is dull and speeds right by. Kinda sounds like he was the only one working on the show. Yep, that's what it looked like. This seemingly subtle fact hints that although our tourism is often the result of massive publicity and critical acclaim, the tour themselves can contribute indirectly. It appears that Gilligan's genius was implemented into the entire show and makes it of quality. Subconsciously, or even consciously, viewers associated hearing Breaking Bad and immediately gave credit to Gilligan. Surprisingly, in an interview right before the airing of the finale, Gilligan is quoted in saying, the worst thing the French ever gave us is the Artur theory, and even called it a load of horseshit. Damn, he, he called it out directly. Yeah, viewers were giving him Arturism even though he was actively denying it. Even with this outright denouncement of the theory as a whole, the label of Artur is not something he could just remove himself from. It is inevitable that for every project he does, this Arturism would transfer over. Of course, this pedestal is very fragile, and any slip could destroy all of his credibility in the future. It's crazy that he directly called out the whole idea as bullshit, but he still reaps all the benefits for it. But, but wait, I thought we were going to talk about Better Call Saul and uh, Arturism surrounding that. Right you are, my friend. And like I said, Gilligan, being an Artur, transfers over to his other works. Better Call Saul is a prequel spinoff of Breaking Bad and focuses on the stories of some of the characters from Breaking Bad and creates new stories. Season 1 aired in February 2015, so just three years after the series finale of Breaking Bad. Vince Gilligan is listed as a co-creator and an executive producer of this series. Peter Gold is the other co-creator and is also given the title of executive producer. Unlike Breaking Bad, both of their names are highlighted at the beginning and the end of each episode of Better Call Saul. So is Peter Gold the 
Peter Gold person is just given credit by being associated with him. I would even go as far to say that Gold inherits the auteur label because of Gilligan. Because of the massive success that Gilligan had with Better Call Saul, Gold, who was only listed as producer for Breaking Bad, is now made auteur. Between 2015 and 2016, Better Call Saul's viewership grew by an unbelievable amount of 278% according to the Nielsen numbers. February of 2016 is exactly when the show went to Netflix. Of course it did. The large audiences that Breaking Bad gained from Netflix were able to propel Better Call Saul just the same. Sure, you could argue that it's because Better Call Saul was just quality of its own. However, without the success of Breaking Bad, and more importantly, Vince Gilligan, Better Call Saul would simply not exist. So where do you think the show would be without Gilligan's name attached to it? Well, that's the thing. Without the associated tour of Breaking Bad, audiences may have found issue with Better Call Saul and objectified it as lesser quality or something that's not worth the effort. Gilligan's autourism is what gave Gould his own and is why Better Call Saul had time to develop its own success. Prequels and sequels are not an easy thing to pull off in any sense. One misstep with an established fan base and the project will crumble. Having time to grow and finding its own footing is essential for every show, but is critical for the success of a spinoff. I mean, not all the credit can go to Gilligan and Gould alone though, right? Like, there had to have been other writers and other performances that made the show what it is today. I, I know I would be upset if I worked really hard on something and saw no credit and all of that just went to one person. Now, say my name. Eisenberg. You're goddamn right. You are very right. There are so many roles within a single production who will, in all honesty, never be credited outside of their production teams. This is the central issue with Artur theory. According to Dave Andrews, another scholar who has done research on this subject, it fosters inequities that, quote, arguably distribute credit, control, and money unfairly among different labor factions, worsen the plight of women and minorities in the film industry, and promote the pursuit of individual good at the expense of the collective good. Sadly, when television shows involve two co-creators, one identifying as a man and one as a woman, the woman is eliminated entirely from the autorist categorization. They are barred from attaining the benefits of their show becoming highly regarded. That's awful. I, I can't believe a, a seemingly simple theory can do so much damage to a countless number of people. I know. It's really upsetting. And this exists even though we can identify its destructive nature. An individualist approach is simply unrealistic given the extremely collaborative nature of films and television making. In fact, Gilligan has been quoted as saying, you don't make a movie by yourself. You certainly don't make a TV show by yourself. You invest people in their work. You make people feel comfortable in their jobs and you keep people talking. So he rejects the auteur label and acknowledges its repercussions, but he's still getting the benefits? Unfortunately, yes. Autourism has become so ingrained in media that even with an auteur's direct denouncement of individual responsibility, the audience will continue to place Gilligan on the tallest podium and tag him as the lone genius. Most of the people who have worked with Gilligan on Breaking Bad 
will never receive the credit they deserve, because the identities of his project are his own. Do you think the same thing could happen to Peter Gold and Better Call Saul? Well, we're already seeing it happen in just the credits alone. Gold is purposely separated from the rest of the people credited, and thus the Artur label is stuck to him. As the sixth season and the final season of Better Call Saul prepares its release, it has said to establish itself as quality apart from Breaking Bad, and I would agree with that seeing it myself. I think it holds its own identity and brings unique stories that are worth investing in. Yet I fear that as Gilligan was given credit for Breaking Bad, Gold will be given credit the same for this show. We can already see Gold being treated as the auteur of the show. In the majority of articles and interviews about Better Call Saul, Gold is the go-to person to reference or attribute to the show's consistent quality. Other than the media spots from some of the actors, only Gold's perspective is sought out by critics and fans. They want to know what his end goal is and what he chooses to do with so-and-so character. I actually just googled writers of Better Call Saul and the first names that come up are Gillian and Gold and, and the other names I've never heard of before. Even I haven't heard of the other names and I actively watched the show. Do you think it's the viewer's fault for not giving credit to the people who deserve it? I wouldn't say so. I'd say it's the responsibility of the marketing teams, the distributor, and creators such as Gilligan and Gold to give credit to where credit is due. But we've seen that even when the so-called auteurs deny their label, people are still mistreated and underrepresented. It's a vicious cycle. I mean, is there any other way to combat it? Well, that's a very complex question, and I don't think there's any one good answer. Possible solutions might include interviewing and promoting writers who have been buried under Gold and Gilligan's name, showcasing crew members who have constantly produced the show, and direct marketing to the newer characters who may have not have had the same syndication as Bob Odenkirk, for example. I think there are many changes that can be made to fight the consequential nature of a tourism, even if it's parasitized within the industry. Even having podcasts, such as this one, that can help listeners realize how collaborative the film and media industry really is. Having writers, producers, and other professionals discuss their experiences might combat the problematic nature of articles who attribute credit to just one person. But Saul, how can I sue these people and institutions? I have no grounds. Do me a favor. Let me answer that question in person. Better call Saul. Before we sign off, I'd like to introduce a new reoccurring segment of this podcast called An Idiot's Soapbox. In this segment, I'll be shamelessly plugging a review of a film I've recently watched and give my guests a chance to review something of their own. For today's episode, I'll be reviewing the film Tick Tick Boom, directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, the artist who brought you the massive Broadway hit Hamilton. Tick Tick Boom, which came out this November, stars Andrew Garfield in an adaptation of an autobiographical musical about Jonathan Larson, a playwright who revolutionized theater with his creation of Rent, but unfortunately passed away in 1996, right before his plays took off. The film follows John, a struggling yet persistent theater composer who must divide his time between his girlfriend, Susan, and fulfilling his dream of writing for Broadway. Feeling the pressures of aging, Susan, who has her own aspirations, and all of his friends, 
some of whom are directly affected by the HIV-AIDS pandemic that devastated the LGBTQ community in the 1990s. John must act fast. It's a story of the chaotic nature of life and how one chooses to pursue dreams in the mayhem. I absolutely love this film and have already watched it three times. I'll admit that I have added pretty much every song to my playlist and have had 3090, the opening song of this film, on repeat. I think Andrew Garfield does an amazing job with his portrayal of Jonathan Larson, and it blows my mind that just after a year and a half of vocal training, Garfield can sing like he did. Of course, the performances of Vanessa Hudgens, Alexandria Shipp, and Robin DeJesus, among others, are unbelievable and draw the viewer into caring for their characters. This is a must-watch, and I expect to see many nominations for this film in the near future. Miranda might even be identified as an auteur in his own right after this debut. We will wait and see. A movie I finally got around to watching yesterday was actually Moonlight, the 2017 Oscar for Best Picture winner. Um, Moonlight is about the life of a poor black man growing up in Miami, uh, revolving around his struggles of being both a gay man and living with his drug-addicted mother. The movie split up into three separate sections based on periods of his life with separate child, teenage, and adult characters for the main character, Sharon. The, the only reason I took so long to watch this movie was that I was a really big fan of La La Land whenever it came out, and when it lost to Moonlight for Best Picture, I was just bitter about it and was mad at Moonlight for being the better received movie, but after watching it, I can easily see how it won over La La Land, as not only is the film well made in its own right, I think it depicts a lot of really important societal issues perfectly that don't get talked about nearly enough. Um, I think the best way this movie shows these issues is how Sharon deals with his two main antagonists in the film, his bullies and his own mom. His school bullies antagonized him for being gay from his early childhood to his teen years, and after being brutally beaten by them, he was told by a counselor that the only way that he could stop them from doing it again is by giving their names up. Sharon knew that by doing that, he would likely just be met with greater violence, if not getting killed by them, so he did the only thing that would really get him out of the situation, and he went into the classroom and bashed a chair against the bully's head, and then he got arrest arrested and sent away for assault. Um, his mother, on the other hand, was never really present during his childhood at all, uh, being addicted to crack and resorting to prostitution to fuel her addiction, even extorting and stealing money from Sharon to buy more and he just didn't feel safe in his own home so Sharon moved to Atlanta after he got out of prison but ironically to fund his new life there as a, as a convict and not being able to get a real job he had to become a drug dealer in order to have enough money to live what both of these solutions to these problems showed is that there isn't as much choice in people's actions when they're put into conditions like Sharon's and when the system is set up that it's safer to go to jail than it is to go home or go to school, where do you expect them to go? Say your name, Blue. <laughs> nah. 
At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you gonna be. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. Thank you so much for listening to the third episode of Theoretical Idiot. I hope you all enjoyed our discussion surrounding art tourism and television, and I would recommend you look for other examples of it in your own favorite television shows. I guarantee you'll be able to find a showrunner who may be taking a bit too much credit. And of course, thank you, Trent, for being my first guest. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I was really happy to sit down with you and talk about something I knew nothing about. I learned a ton today, and I will definitely be using my newfound knowledge to notice other shows that are promoting a form of art tourism. I'm very glad to hear that. And thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time for another journey into visual media news, theories, and debates. See you next time, idiots. The song recommendation for this episode is Easy by the band Sun June, and as always, Tim Scholl. All of my sources for this episode, including all of the sound bites that I used and aforementioned authors, can be found in the episode's description. Some audio content that was used in the creation of this episode are the sole property of their respective owners, production companies, distributors, and or airing networks, if applicable. The Theoretical Idiot Podcast claims no ownership to these audio clips and has no affiliation with any of these production companies, distributors, or airing networks. (laughs) 